Welcome everyone. We are on our Zoom for Parshat Bahar. Actually, it's Bahar B'chukotai. But we're going to focus on Bahar. I've actually given a shir on this before, you know. I've actually, if you look back, I can't remember if it was 2014, 2015, 2016. I gave a shir on this topic. But there's always a new angle to the same topic. So I'm going to focus on it again. And we're going to go right, we're going to dive right into it. The beginning of Parshat Bahar is as follows. You don't have to have it in front of you. Uh, I'm going to send out the source sheet. Uh, we're going to link it. Uh, um, we're going to link the source sheet on my website and we're going to link it on the YouTube as well and on the SoundCloud. So you'll be able to access it there. The first Pasuk, chapter 25 in Vayikra. Vayedaber Hashem. And Hashem said, El Moshe, to Moshe. What do we usually continue with? What's the next word usually? Lemoi, right? Vayedaber Hashem el Moshe. Lemoi. Here we have two extra words. Bahar Sinai. On Mount Sinai, Lemoi. What's the, before we get into Rashi, and actually I'm not going to look at Rashi, I'm going to look at the Medrash, the origin. Let's see what the next posuk is. What did Hashem tell Moshe Rabbeinu Bahar Sinai? Daber al-Bnei Yisrael v'martaleem, speak, so that's familiar. Daber al-Bnei Yisrael, speak to the Jewish nation. V'martaleem and say to them, Ki savoyu el ha'aretz. When you come to the land, Asher aninoisein lochem that I am giving to you, let the land observe a Shabbos for God. What is that mitzvah? Shabbos Lashem. What is the mitzvah? Shemitah, right? The mitzvah of a sabbatical year. Says the Medrash, and it's quoted by Rashi. The Medrash says as follows. Ma'inyan Shemitah Eitzel Har Sinai. What exactly is the connection between Shemitah, the sabbatical year, and Mount Sinai? What has one thing got to do with the other? What's the connection between them? Says the Medrash, surely all the commandments were given on Sinai. Not just the one about Shemitah. Says the Medrash, and it's quoted by Rashi, this statement is intended to suggest the following comparison. Just as with Shemitah its general rules, and its minutest details, come from Mount Sinai, so too all the commandments, all of the commandments, their generalities, and their minute details were given at Mount Sinai. That is the Medrash, and Rashi then struggles to find a reason, and he's not the only one. Everybody struggles to find a reason as to why Shemitah specifically was picked to be the mitzvah to convey this important concept. Namely, that mitzvahs in all their many details, as well as in their general principles, were all given at Mount Sinai. And it's uh, all emanating from the revelation at Sinai. Whatever you observe as a Torah observant Jew has its origin, has its source in Sinai. That is the message at the beginning of Parshas Bahar, 
with the addition of the two words Bahar Sinai in the Posuk Vayudaba Hashem El Moshe Lemoi, adding the word, the phrase Bahar Sinai. So Rashi offers an explanation in the previous share that I gave some years ago. I went into Rashi's explanation. I spoke a little bit about the Ramban and others. And if you refer back onto my website, you'll come up with that share. I'm sure that uh, the, once you've heard what I've got to say about the topic today, you'll be fascinated to hear more about it. And you'll go back to that share and listen to it again. If you haven't heard it yet, you can hear it for the first time. What I want to do first is I want to give you a broad understanding of what's going on here. And then we're going to talk about, um, we're going to look at two very different commentaries. One from Rav Yehuda Amital, I will tell you a little bit about him. And the other one from the Lubavitcher Rebbe, of Menachem Mendel Schneerson. I don't need to tell you anything about him. I'm sure that you know everything you need to know. But first, let's say this. The question, Ma Inyan Shmita Eitzel Har Sinai, has evolved into an idiom in Jewish life that highlights two totally unrelated things which, for some unexplained reason, have been linked together. It's a way of saying, what is the connection here? When you hit two random things, you say, what is the connection here? Is it random? Or is there meaning? Chazal choose to focus on the vast chasm between Sinai and Shemitah. Sinai, Mount Sinai, receiving the Torah, the revelation of God, the entire Jewish nation. We're about to have Shavuot, which commemorates the anniversary. The anniversary that took place, that takes place every year of what took place at Mount Sinai more than 3,300 years ago, when God appeared to the entire Jewish nation. And we stood there at the foot of Mount Sinai, having heard the Ten Commandments, and we said, Naaseva Nishma, we accept the Torah. Sinai symbolizes mighty, lofty, powerful, spiritual, elevated, holy. I can go on, right? You get the, you get the meaning. Shmita, what's Shmita? Shmita is a law about agriculture. If you're a farmer, you should leave your land fallow, un, you know, unseeded, so that there's no produce for a year. It's good for the land. It gives the earth a chance to kind of reinvigorate itself, remineralize. Not good to work the land too much, because if you work it too much, it's not as productive. It's practical. It's ordinary. It's mundane. That's what Schmitter is. It's a type of halacha that you wouldn't associate with spiritual, lofty, holy, etc. In which case... The question takes on a whole new meaning. If you're going to choose something to juxtapose with Harasinai, why are you choosing Shemitah? Surely you should choose something holy, spiritual, special, high. Why are you choosing Shemitah? Shemitah is very mundane. What does the elevated Mount Sinai have to do with the mundane Shemitah. The message, this is what Chazal means to say, is that Shemitah has no less a stake in Mount Sinai than all the other lofty commandments. 
This is reminiscent of the idea. Remember, the beginning of Mishpatim, what are the first words of Mishpatim? Ve'ele ha-Mishpatim. What does Chazal tell us? Ele when you say the word Eile, it means that it's got nothing to do with that that came before. When it says Ve'ele, the letter Vov connects it to that which came earlier. It adds, it's Moisif Alarishonim. The Mishpatim, the civil law that is contained in Parshas Mishpatim, all the civil laws that we read about in Parshas Mishpatim, say Chazal have no less of a meaning in terms of mitzvah observance than the Ten Commandments, keeping Shabbos, not worshipping idols. They have equal status. It's a similar idea. Um, and just the same way, Shemitah is a law that represents the loftiness the elevated nature, the holiness of that moment of the revelation at Sinai, even though it's talking about something very ordinary. We're talking about agriculture. We're talking about people who are agrarian, who, who deal with planting and, and uh, producing crops out of the land. The giving of the Torah at Sinai was not a one-off event where everybody was holy then, but then you go back to an ordinary day-to-day -day life. Sinai lives on in everyday existence and Shemitah is the emblematic paradigm of that concept. So that really, I'm just giving you a summary of this idea in Chazal, but I want to delve into it in greater detail. And the first person I've chosen to do that with is Rabbi Yehuda Amital. Who's Rabbi Yehuda Amital? So everybody remembers him as the, Rav of, uh, as the Rosh Hashiva in Gush, together with Rav Lichtenstein, founded one of the first Hezder Yeshivot. In fact, he was born in Oradea in Romania, and he um, managed to get himself to Eret Yisrael, where he learned in a yeshiva called Kletsk. It wasn't actually the Kletsk yeshiva. It was a yeshiva with um, Rav Tzviuda Meltzer, I think his name was. Um, he was the son of Rav Issa Zalman Meltzer, and in fact, Rabbi Amital married his daughter, which means that he married the granddaughter of Issa Zalman Meltzer, which made him, by the way, a first cousin once removed of Rav Shach, who was the spiritual leader of the Aguda and the Rosh Hashiva of Ponovish, an interesting family connection that people are not aware of. But Rav Amital later on became famous because in the uh, last years of his life, he was the head of a party, of a political party called Meimad, Medinat Yehudit, Medina Yehudit, Medinat Democratit, Meimad, where he was trying to fuse the concept of a democratic modern country with the concept of a Jewish society, a Jewish country, a Jewish land, a Jewish people. And he was, in fact, a minister without portfolio in the government of Shimon Peres, he passed away in 2010. He was a very warm and charismatic uh, Rebbe, a rabbi, teacher, mentor in Gush. And he would give, I believe, a weekly Parsha Shmuz uh, in which he would convey important concepts. I would call them 
I'm sure he didn't call them that, but I would call them Musser concepts. Jewish ethical guidelines, moral teachings from the Parsha of the week. We're going to actually look at one of those that he gave some years before he died in the 1990s. And it, was, it is with particular reference to this concept of Ma'inyan Shmita Eitzel Harsinai. Says Rabbi Amital, Rashi, Rashi, the beginning of the parasha, brings the Torah's koanim, the medrash that says, What is the connection between Shmita and Harsinai that it is mentioned in the opening posuk of the parasha? Surely all the mitzvahs are mentioned at Sinai. Why do we specifically single out this mitzvah? Just as all the details, general and specific, are mentioned um, here with regard to Mount Sinai, every mitzvah in all the general and specific details come from Sinai. So he quotes directly from the Medrash and continues as follows. Haramban, the Ramban, Nachmanides, Medayek Beloshna Teres Koenim, actually derives from this teaching of the Medrash, Sheh Medaberes Alklolim Upratim, that we're speaking about, when we talk about this, what we're talking about is general terms, general themes with mitzvahs, and also the specific requirements, specific uh, obligations with regard to mitzvahs. And the Ramban explains that the Torah wants to teach us just as the Torah teaches us from Mount Sinai both the general terms, the general rules, the general concepts, the general themes of Shemitah, the Heinah Pratim, and the specific examples of how to observe the mitzvahs, mitzvah of Shemitah. Kach gam nemru misinai klolehenu protenja kola mitzvahs. So too, when it comes to any mitzvah, whatever mitzvah we are familiar with, whether it comes to the general themes of the mitzvah or the specific obligations with regard to observing the mitzvah, it all comes from Mount Sinai. That's by way of introduction. Continues Rav Amital. We still need to understand. So far, I think we, we got the picture, right? Says Rav Amital, we didn't really get the picture. We need to understand. Why is it? that the Torah specifically chose the mitzvah of Shemitah to teach us to make this point. He says the most obvious answer is that clearly the Torah thought that either we were going to go for the general themes or we were going to go for the specific obligations, for the very minute obligations. What does he mean? He goes on and he explains it. By the way, this is wonderful. It's an insight into human psychology from a man who was an educator for his entire adult life. Listen carefully. 
This is profound. Profound and simple, by the way. Usually, the most profound things are very simple. There are many people who are willing to accept the general themes, the concepts that are given by the Torah. But the, the specific obligations with regard to those general themes, which are not so obvious when one thinks about it in the first glance, in the first view, they find it very difficult to uphold those specific obligations. He says the general themes of Judaism, very easy to sell. You don't have to be a brilliant salesman. You don't have to have won salesman of the year to, to sell the concepts of Judaism. But when it comes to the specifics of how to observe a mitzvah, that is much harder to sell. There you have to be a good salesman. Let's take as an example the mitzvah of observing Shabbos. You want to know something? In the entire world today, there's not a person in the world who doesn't accept this idea that you need to rest one day a week. We all got it. We understand it. It's not good to work endlessly day after day after day. You need a break. You need a weekend. Shabbos, the concept of a Shabbos or a break in the work week is something that everybody, broadly speaking, accepts. Ach, shavisa ha-koyleles isu But when you tell somebody, you know how you rest on Shabbos? You're not allowed to light a candle. You're not allowed to turn on the light. Or isurim or some of the other prohibitions relating to Shabbos. Then people say, no, no. We get the concept. You, we have to rest on Shabbos, but we don't want to do these specific laws. Don't give us the, you know, what it says in the Shulchan Aruch. That's not our version of what it means to rest on Shabbos. Broadly speaking, we accept what you're saying. Specifically, when it comes to the laws of, uh, of the prohibitions of Shabbos, we don't agree with what you're telling us. Harav Kuk Kotev. Rav Kuk writes... It's not the fact that people are not observant nowadays. He's speaking about his generation that applies the same to ours. It's not because they have some ideological opposition to what the Torah is teaching. He says it specifically because they're not willing to take upon themselves the specific requirements and demands of halacha on a daily basis from people. Broadly speaking, many of the things in the Torah it says, for example, in the Torah it says, observe Shabbos. Yeah, we all, we all get that. Don't give me the Shulchan Aruch bit. It says in the Torah, you should eat kosher. I don't accept eating kosher. I want to eat healthy. 
that's my version of keeping kosher. Broadly speaking, I accept what you're saying, but I don't want to accept the specifics of the obligation. That says Rav Amital is one side of the equation. Those who are very taken by the broad concepts of Judaism, but completely unswayed by the more minute detail of halacha. Me'idach, on the other hand, yesh gam tefa'a there's another type of person completely. There's people who are so busy with details. They're so into the detail of the halacha. To the extent that they've lost sight of the broad picture. They no longer know what that broad picture is painting. They don't even see it. They don't know it exists. They're busy with the details of halakha. It says in this particular note, I read a tshuva somewhere, I heard a psak. Today people are looking for stringencies, for strict interpretations of halakha. That's what people are busy with. To the extent that nowadays there's plenty of people who don't even understand what the mitzvah is about. You know, I, I always use the example of Lulav and Estrog. People are so busy, it comes to Sukkot, you walk into If you want to see the strangest faces, all you need to do, do is to go to somebody who sells Estrogim before Sukkot. People looking at the Estrog under the light exactly to see... Ask them why they're shaking Lulav and Estrog on Sukkot. They haven't got the faintest idea. They've never gone into it. They know nothing about the concept of Lulav and Estrog. But the faces, the screwed up faces for weeks before they're searching for the perfect Estrog. That, that is an example of people who are looking for the specific stringencies with regard to Halacha. But they've lost sight of the broad picture. The Torah wants to find the possibility to stress that a person has to be able to know and to carry out both sides of this equation. Both the generalities and the specifics. Many people have gone into what are, lies behind the mitzvah of Shemitah. But the fact is, we don't need to go into great detail. We don't need to exercise our brains with regard to Shemitah. Because the Gemara tells us about Shemitah. The Gemara in Sanhedrin, says as follows. Omar HaKodesh Baruch God said, Le Yisrael to the Jewish nation. Plant for six years and rest up the land in the seventh. So that you know that the land is mine. I don't need to work it out. The Gemara tells us exactly, repeats as it were, what God's message is to the Jewish people. What is that message? Kadei sheteidu. So that you should know, God wants you to know, to remember, to recall that the land is mine. Rashi Bamokoim. 
Rashi right there in Sanhedrin Daflamet test says as follows: Ve'loyorum levavchem b'shvach artzchem v'tishkuchu oil malchusoi. Don't be busy praising the land. By the way, not praising the land that the land is amazing. What you're doing when you praise the land is that I've got the best farm. I'm the best farmer. That's what you're saying. I am the best. It's all about me. Don't forget that this land is, what is it? If you behave that way, you speak that way, you will have forgotten the yoke of his majesty. God's majesty is what enables land to produce fruits and vegetables and wheat and barley and whatever it is. And this reason specifically is mentioned at the end of the parasha of Shemitah and Yovel, right here um, in our parasha in Perik Chofhei, chapter 25 of Vayikra. The land is mine. Do you know what you are? You are simply sojourners and strangers in my land. That's what you are. The la- you come and go. The land stays. Who does the land belong to? The land is mine, says Hashem. Mitzvah hashmita ba'alam deinu. Do you know what the mitzvah of shmita is there to teach us? Shegam im ha'adam oved bad masoy matzliach. That even if a person works the land and is incredibly successful in drawing crops out of the land, tomid alav lizkar she'ain hu balabais. He must always remember that he is not master of the land. Allah adama the she'ain he shayeches loin. It does not belong to him. I am always awed by the majesty of a large tree, for example. If you ever passed a large oak tree, a tree that's been growing for a hundred years, and it's going to be there for another hundred years after you've gone. Have you ever been to those redwood forests in Northern California? If not, you should go. If you want to understand that there are, there are trees, I know that somebody gave me a piece of wood that is 4,000 years old. It was a tree that died and they sold pieces of the tree. I have it at home. It's a piece of wood that's 4,000 years old. And when they gave me this piece of wood, they wrote me a letter and they said, this tree was alive at the time of Avraham Avinu. Think about that. Think about that. We're busy with saying, oh, we're marvelous, we're wonderful, we're the greatest agricultural production that's ever existed. The land preceded you and will outlive you. That is what you need to remember, but it's not the land, it's Hashem. It's Hashem, li ha'aretz, ki li ha'aretz, the Pasuk says. Harambam, the Rambam koiseb b'mayr nevuchim, in Guide for the Perplexed. She'echod mitame ha'shmita, one of the reasons for shmita hu, she'adoma mischazekes maniva yiboil rav yoise im he writes, he gives the agricultural purpose for Shemitah. He says, if you leave land fallow for a year, it will produce better crops the following year. Habarbanel, 
Don Yitzchak Abarbanel, who wrote his parish on the Torah, was himself very familiar with the philosophy of Aristotle and, of course, of the Rambam. He writes as follows, other people write, they were angry that the Rambam expressed this as the reason behind Shemitah. Are mitzvahs there to give us agricultural advice? Really? That's why we have a mitzvah in the Torah, because it's good to leave land fallow for a year, because it will produce better produce? The Rambam Maimonides himself wrote, The only reason a mitzvah exists is to teach us good behavior, the way we should be, conduct ourselves as human beings, good character. To, to somehow uh, correct wrongs and ills that exist in society. However, it would appear that the Rambam actually had in mind the things that we've been saying. When it comes to the mitzvah, it comes to the mitzvah of Shmita, this is what Hashem wanted to say. He is the one who determines how we work the land. Because the land belongs to him. We are only sojourners and strangers. We're not permanent. And it may be better, it may be worse. He is the one who determines how land develops, how land can produce. And it happens to be that land only produces well if you break it up. And maybe if we'd leave it to us, we wouldn't take a year break because we want to maximize our profit. We want to milk the land for everything we can get out of it. Hashem says, no, no, the land is mine. I decide when the land produces and how well it produces and how it's going to produce every year if you break or if you don't break. In light of all this, Now we suddenly understand, says Rabbi Mital, why specifically the Torah chose the mitzvah of Shemitah. To teach us that we need to take into consideration and to observe and take seriously both the general aspect of the mitzvahs and the specific aspects. Mitzvahs ha-shmitahi, achas ha-mitzvahs ha-yechidois shebahen tafkidom shal kol ha-protim muvan. There happens to be the mitzvah of shmitah is one of those mitzvahs where all the specific details are self-evident. The Rambam is telling us that. We know why we have to break for a year, because it's better for the land. We know why it is that we have to make sure that nothing grows during that year. The Torah says you're not allowed to seed, to plant, to do any of the work of the land. So that we should know that we are not masters of the land. It's every detail is com coming there to teach us this concept. 
Yikava manase ba'admaseinu. Only a Kodesh Baruch Hu can determine that which happens from our land. Mipnei shoha'adoma hi be'etzem sheloi. Because the land, in, in the end, in the final analysis, belongs to him, ve'loi shelonu, and is not ours. Hatoira rotis oloimar. The Torah wants to tell us in the same way as in the mitzvah of Shemitah, we have to carry out both the general and understand the general themes and make sure that we focus on every detail. So too, we have to make sure to focus on the general themes and make sure we discharge our duty with regard to the details for every mitzvah. Even if it's true to say that unlike Shemitah, with all the other mitzvahs, the, the connection between them is not always evident. That is Rabbi Yehuda Amital on Ma'inyon Shemitah Eitzel Har Sinai. Now let's go to the Lerbavitch Rebbe in Likute Sichus. He says a most beautiful idea and I'm going to share it with you. The mitzvahs are Shemitah. We understand that the mitzvah of Shemitah has within it a concept that is incredibly important. It's foundational for every Jew. On the one hand, the Torah is telling every Jew Six years you should plant in your field and six years you should make sure to take care of your orchard, of your vineyard. What is that teaching us? The Torah is telling you, you have to live in the real world. In the natural world, you have to take into account the world around you. That's your world, you're a human being, you're physical. You have to take that into consideration. And that's the only way you can survive. You can't survive without participating in the real world. The Torah is not telling you that you should just be busy with learning Torah and davening and not participate in the real world. You must participate in the real world. Sheish shonim tizra sadecha. You must plant your fields. Imzais maidia hatayra But nevertheless, even though that's something that the Torah wants to convey to every Jew, there's another aspect that the Torah also wants to convey. Once in seven years, he must withdraw himself from ordinary life of working the land and make a sabbatical year. That is completely separated and sanctified for all the things which are spiritual, namely Torah, prayer, and uh, doing the things that you need to do in the worship and service of God. That is once in seven years. So on the, it's a little tense, 
tension here, right? There's the tension between Sheshon and Tishachar and Sodcha. You have to plant for six years. And on the seventh year, you have to separate yourself completely. Shoyla Yehudi. So the Pasuk recalls or um, predicts that this is what the Jew is going to ask. What are we going to eat in that seventh year? If we don't plant the fields, we're not going to be able to harvest the produce. What are we going to eat? We're going to starve to death if we keep Shemitah year. The Torah, God, answers. I will increase, I will command, as it were, my blessings for the sixth year. And it will produce enough produce that will last harvest, that will last for three years. The sixth year, the seventh year and the eighth year until the eighth year harvest emerges. In this specific point in the Torah, the Torah demands from every Jew to completely have faith and to be dependent on God and on his assistance as it were that is that rises above the natural order of events. Amazing! On the one hand, you have to live in the real world. On the other hand, you have to rely on God in a way that demands you suspend reality and just have faith in a supernatural God. In the, at the first glance, if you're just looking at this for the first time, you say, this is, there's an inherent contradiction here. There's, there's a contradiction that cannot be resolved. How is it possible on the one hand to tell a Jew, you must live in the real world. You must make sure that you plant uh, um, produce in your field and harvest that produce when it emerges from the field, you've got to be a person who does the work and makes the effort that you have parnosa. That's on the one hand. On the other hand, you've got to be complete mamin and believe that only God provides. You can't be both. You can't be a person who's completely dependent on the production of your agricultural land. And on the other hand, somebody who totally relies on faith. These two contradict each other. They don't make sense. Ach, in reality, says the Lubavitcher Rebbe, this is exactly what the Torah is desires to tell us and to teach us that we need to um, absorb this lesson to the, into the fiber of our beings. We need to somehow fuse these two feelings into one. We have to do everything that's demanded of us in terms of the natural order of events. And at the same time, to rely on God's help, God's assistance, God being there behind everything that happens. That is above the order of nature. That is the tension of what it means to be a Jew. You've got to do everything. You've got to make your ishtadlis. You've got to ensure that you do everything that needs to be done to get 
whatever it is out of your day-to-day life and at the same time you've got to say I'm doing everything but it's all from Hashem it is exactly this tension, this, this difference between what is expected of us in the six years before Shemitah and what's expected of us for Shemitah that actually gives us the power in our souls to be a good Jew. What does a Jew learn in the six years when you need to work the land? That the very purpose of a human being is to make sure that you insert yourself in every aspect of human life, knowing that that's the way that you can exist. And to sanctify ordinary life specifically. That's what we have to do. We're not hermits who live in a cave or monks who live in a monastery. We live in the real world and behave like real human beings. But so that you shouldn't totally um, uh, give reliance upon ordinary things that happen, the order of nature, atzma. Because we have to realize, even as we are in real life, that everything has as an additional aspect to it. It's the, it's the lining, it's the, it's the light that forms the core of everything that we do, is that we need to rely on help from Hashem. And for that reason, we need to suspend our ordinary activities for one year out of seven so that we remember that that's the case. We need to remind ourselves. We need to be sure that we don't forget. And in that moment, totally rely on Hashem. And from the from the year, the sabbatical year where work is suspended, every Jew can draw the strength that he doesn't become completely besotted with the ordinary aspects of the way the world runs. For other Rabbah, rather, on the contrary, you've got to always realize that everything that happens to you in life has a divine aspect to it. The only way you can realize that is if you have to, at some point in your life, once in seven years, completely rely on Hashem. And then you know at all other times you're also relying on Hashem. And this idea, this concept, this theme, also lends itself to understanding the six days of work, the Yom HaShabbos, and keeping Shabbos, the Shabbos day, Shabbat Achreim, that comes after the six days of the week. Because when it's Shnas HaShmitah, there is some aspect of, um, of the idea, the concept of the Shabbos day. 
because on the Shabbos day, um, sorry, Shemitah is something more than Shabbos, something slightly different than Shabbos. On Shabbos, a person completely separates himself from every aspect of the world. And that day is completely devoted to spiritual matters. But on Shemitah year, it's different than Shabbos because we do involve ourselves in aspects of the real world. It's not as if we are suspended as we are on Shabbos from the real world for 24 hours. But for an entire year, we're not suspended. We just don't do the stuff that can be done. And we are still living in that real world. He is, in fact, um, the demand is that he does remain in the ordinary, physical, natural order of events. Uh, in that period of time that he retains his faith in God and the holiness and sanctity that is that rises above the natural order. Even in ordinary day-to-day life. In the ordinary day-to-day life of every Jew, in every weekday of every week, Every day people are involved in all kinds of ordinary matters, mundane affairs of existence. But avoid la parnasosa, working for his parnasa, for his sustenance, to make a living. Ba'achilah, to ensure that he has food to eat, he has to cook, he has to buy the food, he has to do all those things. B'shtiyah, drinking. Bishinah, you need to sleep. If you don't sleep for a night or two, it's going to destroy you. You need those natural things, and similar. But at the same time, every Jew needs to devote some time in the day to studying Torah and to prayer. Because in that way, he can elevate himself above the ordinary mundane matters of the world. The worries of the world, and connect himself with God. That is the way that a Jew lives. That is you to live somewhere hovering between the real world, the natural world, the ordinary world, the material world, the physical world, and the holiness of the God world, the spiritual elevated world of religion and faith. And that is how the entire Jewish nation survives. The only way we can understand how the Jewish nation survives is in the natural order of events. The only way a Jew can survive is through miracles that are constantly wrought for us by God above, by the great God who does great miracles for us and for us to survive. It seems natural. It seems, of course, here we are. It all makes perfect sense. And no, it doesn't. We are somehow, we are in the real world, this concept of Shemitah. My Indian Shemitah, it's a Sinai to go back to what I said earlier. 
is that Shemitah, this representation of the most ordinary aspects of living, planting and harvesting, actually is an indication to us that everything we have is only from God. That is the Indian of Shemitah Eitzel Har Sinai. That is why specifically when it came to Har Sinai, it's when it came to Shemitah, we mention Har Sinai. So that we understand that the most elevated aspect of our Jewish historical journey, the revelation at Mount Sinai when we received the Torah, we were all there and we said, Nasevanishma in unison. At that very moment, we acknowledge that every aspect of the most ordinary parts of our lives are also part of that Harsinai experience. We'll leave it here for now. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for participating in this share. Thank you.